All right, we are in the book of Daniel this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I have a, uh, a prolonged introduction to give you time to find Daniel. For those of you that are not using an electronic device, because I tend to skip past it if I have a hard copy of the Bible. So, um, We're in week three of our five-week series on the prophets, and we really haven't done an overview of the prophets, so I want to do that quickly before we move on. Um, and the prophets, and, and I've I tried to define them this week, and I couldn't think of a better word than eclectic. Because um, they were just kind of a, a goofy bunch of folks. They were really all over the... Well, I didn't... They were, I was going to say they're all over the map. And they kind of were all over the map. So, dun, dun, there we go. Um, but they were a group of missionaries, basically. And, and missionaries internally to Israel and externally outside of Israel as well. Uh, we'll look at an external missionary next week. Uh, who spoke, and that's your first blank, on behalf of God. So they were missionaries who spoke on behalf of God. And the idea is that um, they, <clears throat> they had a message that was from God, that God wanted delivered, that the people who needed to hear it weren't <coughs> amenable to that. They didn't want to hear that message from the people that were sitting next to them. And, and we understand this because there are people that we do life with every single day that I have the people that I do life with every single day that I have great relationships with that have far more candor to speak into my life. Did I just go dead? No, there we go. If Justin Harness came up to me and said, hey, man, i got a problem with something you're doing, okay, you know, I'm, I'm really probably going to pay attention and listen um, because he and I have a relationship there that's it's pretty longstanding. But, Justin, are there things that you would feel awkward talking to me about, even with our relationship? Yeah. And, and I think we see this sometimes, that those of you that have grown up in church, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> those of you that have grown up in church, there's a, a tendency for your, your home pastor to not touch on certain things. Anybody ever see this? You kind of avoid certain things and you wait for that evangelist to come in. Or you wait for that revival to come in and, and, and the preacher tells him, hey, you know, we need, you need to cover this when you're up there reaming them out about stuff. And, and the prophets behave that way sometimes. Sometimes they were that voice that, that wasn't in the group that could say things that, that the priest couldn't really tell the people because there was a different relationship. So um, <clears throat> your handout, uh, it lists this, this picture, uh, this timeline. And if you believe the Bible literally on the, the years that are in the Bible, creation was about 4,000 B.C. Uh, Abraham lived about 2,000 years after that. Another 1,000 years was David. And Daniel, the story that we're in today, is somewhere between uh, 500 and 550 B.C., uh, so it kind of gives you an idea. And below that, there's a picture of the Old Testament and New Testament books. And the next blank is these 17 books, the prophets, and they constitute 21% of the Bible. Um, and you might be asking, well, if we're spending 100 weeks doing an overview of the Bible, why are we only spending five weeks in the prophets? Well, <clears throat> the prophets were kind of like the caulk of the Old Testament. You guys have heard me talk about caulk before, right? Caulk kind of fills in the gaps. It, it bridges things. It closes things up that are, that are a little drafty, and it, and it, it solidifies things. And you don't, and I, I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound wrong, and, it, and you guys know where I'm coming from, but you don't have to have the prophets to have the whole story, the whole narrative of Scripture, Okay? You can still tell the story, the redemption story, without the prophets. However, if you leave them out, you think God doesn't care. Okay? Because, because you go, well, why wouldn't God intervene here? He did over and over and over and over and over again. And that's the prophets. That's the story of the prophets. 
So on the back side of your handout, am I popping real bad or is that just, okay. Maybe if I stand still. That's not going to work, is it? No. <laughs> Y'all are like, no way could you ever stand still. Yeah, I hear you. All right, so <clears throat> second page of your handout. The key thought today is lions and tigers and bears are not a problem for God. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my, are not a problem for God, right? Um, and I'm going to share a struggle with you that I had this week. Um, most of you know that I've been studying the Bible for a long, long time. And I'm, I've finally gotten to the point where when I read something and I look up words in Greek and I read something and I look up words in Hebrew, that I'm getting comfortable with kind of the way those languages work. Um, and I'm a math guy, so this is a big, big, big stretch for me. But the last couple weeks have just rung my bell because Daniel chapter 6 is not written in Hebrew. What's it written in? It's written in Aramaic. Ugh. So for those of you that have dabbled in looking at the Greek or looking at the Hebrew, I get it, okay? I get it. This last couple of weeks, I got it. That when you do this, it is difficult and it is awkward and sometimes it doesn't make any sense and it takes a while to get a comfort level with these things. So, so your Sunday school teacher got smacked around academically the last couple of weeks quite a bit. So I just wanted to share that with you. So the key thought is lions and tigers and bears are not a problem for God. So we're in Daniel chapter 6. So has everybody found Daniel chapter 6? Daniel, have you found Daniel chapter 6? Because that would be really funny if you couldn't. That, oh, okay, cool. I know we have a baby today. I love having babies. So, though, yeah, so that's a good announcement. So for those of you that with small children, bring them in here. That's fine, absolutely fine. I'll tell you if we're having an R-rated lesson or something, you need to be careful, so... We'll give you plenty of heads up on that. So we're in Daniel chapter 6, and uh, verse 1. Here we go. It pleased Darius. So who's Darius? We didn't get very far before I asked the question, did we? He's the king, right? The king of what? The king of something, right? The king of his kingdom. Yes, that's, that was a fantastically awesome answer. King of Persia, right? So Persia is this big sprawling place at this time. Um, where would he have been in the pecking order of the most powerful men in the world? Pretty high, right? Like maybe number one on that list? Yeah. So it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120, huh, what's that word? Satraps. Yeah, it's a an awkwardly translated word. It's just a governor over a province. So it's basically the idea of I can't rule everybody to the degree that they need to be ruled, so I need mid-level management in place, right? to help me do this job, to be over the whole kingdom. Verse 2, and over these three governors. So you had the king, you had three governors, and then a hundred and, how many were there? 120, 120, yeah. I get mixed up because Esther 1-1's got 127, so I get the numbers mixed up in my head. So you got the king, you got three governors, and you got 120 folks below him. And it says Daniel was the first among these three. So if the king is the most powerful man in the world, who's the second most powerful man in the world? Pretty good for a slave, right? Don't count out how you started because it may not be how you end. All right? So over these three governors of whom Daniel was one. Now, how old was Daniel at this time? Anybody know? We think he'd been serving in Babylon for at least 65 years, uh, maybe 70 years, um, probably in Babylon. So he'd been in Babylon 70 years. So he's in his 
late 70s probably, which is, you don't think about that, do you? Because when you think about Daniel in the lion's den, you think about somebody your age, right? You don't think about somebody that maybe needed a cane. So throwing him in the lion's den could have been really problematic just in that action alone, right? Right? This is a problem. So when we get to the end of the story and the, and the Bible describes Daniel and his status at the end of the story, that's a miracle. All right? So he was one that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. So why would the king suffer loss? What does that matter? How would the king suffer loss? Territorially? Good. How else? Financially. You think the satraps might skim a little off the top? Just perhaps. So how many of you are auditors or have been auditors at some point in your life? That's what Daniel was. He made sure the king got his. Okay? And where was he in the power of the kingdom? Second? <laughs> where most auditors are, very high up, right? <laughs> yeah, you have the, the ear of the king, right? So that the king would suffer no loss, verse 3. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps. So the governors were the other two people that were over the 120, and the satraps were the 120, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Now that's pretty cool. So when the king's thinking about succession planning, or when the king's thinking about going on vacation, how many of you have a boss that has gone on vacation and in his out of office left you in charge? Have you ever done that? Anybody ever have a boss did that without telling you? That one's fun. Because I've had that happen to me, and when my boss's boss's boss calls, well, he said you were in charge this week. Absolutely, that's correct. Yes. No clue, sorry. I wonder if Daniel knew. I don't know if Daniel knew. Maybe he knew. Because an excellent spirit was in him that the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Verse 4, so how do you think everybody else felt about that? Not so well, right? Because if you've ever been the favorite in your workplace, you know that it is actually not as much fun as it sounds. Yeah, I promise you, it is really not. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom but they could find no charge or fault. Literally, the word means corruption. Because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. So David Guzik said there were no skeletons in Daniel's closet. So think about, think about the vastness of what Daniel was over and think about the likelihood of there being an error somewhere in what he was over. Right? Somewhere in what he was over. And they couldn't find anything. So, Lynn, what's your title at work? Of financial reporting. Okay? So, if Daniel had a title, I think it'd be very close to that. And what do you think the odds are, Lynn, that nowhere in any of your downstream is an error whatsoever. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Materiality, right? Right? Is it significant enough to be important? This says there was nothing. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, this is a standard that, that it, those of you that have done this know that this is just ridiculous, right? I mean, there's just no way that that can, this is a God thing, right? So he was faithful and God was faithful. This is a two-part thing here. Verse 5, Then these men, these 
governors and satraps said, We shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Okay? So we've given up trying to find something professionally, so we're going to try to find something that he is not doing according to the law of his God. Verse 6, so these governors and satraps thronged, what's your translation say? This is a great word. What was it? Went as a group. Anybody else? Collusioned. That's a good one. Collusioned before the king and said to him thus, King Darius, live forever. Right, because you always start that way. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and make a firm degree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Is this a true or a false statement? Why is it false? Daniel did not vote yes to this. And they said all. Right? So automatically they had to lie to the king to pull this off. All right? Verse 8. Now, O king. So now, okay, let's back up for a second. Cast into a what? A den of lions. So flip over to the front side of your handout. I'm going to fix a theological error that I did not catch. How many of you caught it already? Anybody catch it in the title? There's a theological error in the title. It's where the apostrophe is. You need to move the apostrophe one space to the right after the S. It was not a singular lion in there. There were multiple lions in there. Okay? Apostrophes matter theologically. I cannot imagine that I actually did this without noticing that. But there we go. All right. So back over to the back side of your handout. Had to fix that. Sorry. So verse 8. So, so before we go to verse 8. So... So what kind of guy keeps a den of lions around for punishment? You're like, what was that? Michael Jackson. Okay, I can run with that. Um, So on the bell curve, (laughs) right? Yeah, we got outliers here, right? Yeah, so I can think of Michael Jackson, Jabba the Hutt, and Darius, right? Keep a den of things to eat your prisoners. I mean, this is just not normal, right? This is absolutely not normal. This shows you the kind of links and extremes that this man used his wealth and power for. Okay? So this is not a guy you wanted to mess around with because he thought den of lions was cool. All right? Um, Verse 8, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. And how many of you have ever wondered, like, so why does the law of the Medes and the Persians not often? Right? What's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal is that they thought the king was a god. And if the king's a god, then the gods don't change their mind willy-nilly. Right? So the Kaufman here is a great commentator. says, The laws remain unchangeable and irrevocable because the king was regarded and honored as the incarnation of deity who is unerring and cannot change. And that's an E before an I because there's no C in there. So, right? Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. So they played to his pride, they lied to him, and he got bought into this problem. Verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went and petitioned to the king and griped and complained and quoted the constitution and said, this is wrong, and he staged a sit-in, and he called and he got the prayer chain started at the local tabernacle and they all pitched in, and I'm sorry, I ad-libbed a little there, didn't I? Yeah. He went home. And you go, home? What does it have to go home? 
Well, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And here's the cool phrase, as was his custom since early days. So what did Daniel do? He kept on doing what Daniel did. Which I cannot say would be what I would have been my reaction. Right? So I now know that the entire government is literally out to get me. Think about that. The entire government just put a law in place to get me. Hmm. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go break that law. Now, who is the second in command? Daniel. So you think Daniel knew Darius fairly well? I think so. This is actually the fourth king that Daniel has served under, by the way. He'll serve under one more. The story ends pretty cool. But Daniel knew this man very well. He probably knew him since the time he was born. He saw his development. He saw his growth. He saw this eccentricities. He saw all of his aberrant behavior. And he knows that this is not a guy that messes around. And he goes and he breaks this law. And you think, well, why would he do that? Well, it is wholly right, here's your blank, to disobey man's laws when they violate God's laws. Okay? It is wholly right to violate man's laws when they violate God's laws. Now, I'm thankful that I live in a country where I can say that, right? But we have freedom of speech where I can stand up and I can make that statement and nobody comes in and kicks the doors down and arrests me. But if we didn't have freedom of speech, it is still wholly right to break man's laws when they violate God's laws. We may, we may not, I have no idea, see a day where a law comes down and says, you cannot do, and then something goes in the blank that God told us to do. We may, we may not. And I pray that we have the resolve to remain faithful and consistent if that ever happens. Right? And if, if a law is made specifically to attack Christians, consistent behavior. So here's the cool thing. How many times did Daniel go pray that day? Three. He didn't just break it once. He didn't just break it twice. He broke it three days the day it was signed. Boom. <laughs> How awesome is that, right? It's like, I'm going to be consistently faithful to my God. Three days the day it was signed. That's pretty cool stuff. So, verse 11. Then these men, the governors and the satraps, assembled. Another way to... Uh, it's the same word as thronged before. One of my commentators said that it's best translated came thronging. It's like, I don't know that that resonates well, but it's a cool statement anyway. So these men came thronging and found Daniel praying and make suppl making supplication or asking favors before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's degree. Have you not signed a decree saying that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? So they're reminding him. This is all the same day. The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That 
Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, so now they're slandering him, right? does not show due regard for you, O king, for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. So was Daniel showing, here's my question, was Daniel showing disrespect for the king when he went and prayed to God? Not at all. Daniel's doing exactly what Daniel's been doing for years and years and years. Behavior that we saw very, very early on in the book of Daniel when he was a teenager. Right? So he's been faithfully, consistently doing this action for 60 plus years probably. No disrespect to the king here. David Guzik says Daniel intended no disrespect for the king, only a higher respect for God. He had things in order here. Right? This wasn't something that, oh, oh, you know what? Now that I think about it, now that I think through my theology, the king is actually more important than God. Nope. Daniel had his theology worked out well before this day. Verse 14, and the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. So let me read you what one of the commentators said, Adam Clark. He wrote this about 150 years ago. And well he might be, when through his excessive folly he passed a law that for its ostentable object would have been a disgrace almost to an idiot. I thought that was... They don't make jokes very often in the commentaries, okay? So when they do, I feel led to share them with you, so... He was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Because the Medes and the Persians had this thing that if you broke the law and you were found guilty that day, you had to be proven innocent before the sun went down or the punishment had to be carried out that day. So the king only had... Now now remember, so he, he signs the thing probably in the morning. Daniel goes and he prays three times a day. They come back and they tell him he's in a fury. He's probably only got a couple of hours to actually stop this thing from happening. So he goes and he does everything that he can do. Verse 15, Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians, that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Verse 16, So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions, plural, But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Now, why do you reckon the king would say that? Did the king, was the king a Yahweh follower? No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. Why did he have faith and confidence in Daniel's God? Yeah, he'd seen some pretty crazy stuff in Daniel's life already. Any other reason? It really was. Because I think the king knew that his gods couldn't help him here. Because the king certainly had prayed to his gods before and gotten no response or had not gotten the response that he wanted. But everything that Daniel... This is the cool thing about Daniel's prayers. If you go through and you look at the prayers of Daniel in the book of Daniel, every single one of them gets answered. The way that he was praying for it. And you go, hmm... Maybe something to learn from that, right? Verse 16, But the king spoke to Daniel, saying, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. What does that sound like a couple hundred years later? Okay. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. 
Verse 18, Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. And no, what's the word you have in your translation? Diversions or entertainment. It, this is a, the, the blank here is a broad word, B-R-O-A-D. It means diversions, musical instruments, dancing girls, concubines. It's anything that the king had at his disposal to pass the hour. This is the most powerful man in the world, raised by a raging lunatic, his father. A raging lunatic. His father was even worse. His son is a nut job too. So you can only imagine the scale and diversity of diversions that could be at play here. And he put every bit of this aside. And what did he do? And he spent the night fasting. And his sleep fled from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a grief-filled voice to Daniel. And the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Which I think is a rather long introductory comment when you're going to check and see if someone's alive, right? (laughs) Hey! You okay? That would have been the extent of my conversation, right? Not... Daniel, a servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Okay, again, this guy is not small ends of the curve here, okay? Verse 21, then Daniel said, and you really don't have to go any farther than that, do you? It's like, oh, (laughs) winner. (laughs) Kaufman has a line in his commentary. He says, these enemies overlooked the will of God which is a universal characteristic of all wicked men. Because you think that you can dream up something that will outsmart or subvert or get around what God wants to be done. Right? You would think. You would think that there would be something in the, in, at this point, the 3,500 years of recorded history, somebody would have come up with something that could trick God. And Daniel said, nope. All of humanity, zero. God, one. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. Now, Daniel knows he still needs a job. Okay? My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. So while I've got your attention, let me clarify what they said about me too. So my God beat your law, and I'm innocent of the charges that these guys have brought against me. Because if there was ever a moment where Daniel had all of Darius's attention, this was it, right? Daniel is a brilliant example of a perfectly timed communicator. Every time he opens his mouth and speaks to a king, it is beautiful politics. You say, politics? Why'd you have to drag politics into it? Because politics is all about timing. It's all about timing. It's got to be at the right time, and you've got to bring up the right thing the right way. And that's what he does. Verse 23, Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So did the king break his law here? No, because he... 
followed the law when he threw him in. So he didn't say how long he had to keep him in or what happened afterward. The assumption was that that's the end of the story. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury was found on him. And remember how old is Daniel? He's old, right? Do you throw old people around? <laughs> not if you'd like to keep them, right? I mean, this is not, <laughs> not generally wise behavior, right? And, and what was found on him? We don't throw old people. That's the, that's the point of today's lesson, right? <laughs> that would be a really practical one, right? <laughs> Teaching your kids, you're bringing them up. There you go. No injury was found on him. None. Have, seriously, so let's be, be serious for a second. Have you ever been around an old person? Do they bruise easily? Yes. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I mean, you can bump somebody that's in their 80s and, and they can bruise. And no injury was found on him. And this next little phrase is kind of important, right? Because he believed in his God. There was faith. When you fast forward to Hebrews chapter 11, and it talks about the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and it goes through the patriarchs, and it goes through the Old Testament, and it gets to this little phrase, and it says, faith stopped the mouths of lions. Well, now, I understood what Daniel just said was that the angel came and stopped the mouths of the lions. But the writer of Hebrews says that the faith stopped the mouths of the lions because the faith initiated the action to send the angel to stop the mouths of the lions. It's a beautiful example of how this stuff works together. So verse 24, and the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused. What does your translation say? What, what kind of accused? Maliciously accused. That's really good. What else? Informed? Did I hear? In, informed on them. Anybody else? Falsely accused. You, Here's what the word literally means. It means denounced, slandered, accused maliciously. Here's your blank. Chewed on. Huh. Chewed on. Eaten or devoured him with their words. He took those men who had accused Daniel and cast them into the den of lions. So when you chew on somebody, be careful because it may come back to haunt you, right? <laughs> Threw them in the den of lions, them, and then there's two little sad, really, really sad phrases. Their children and their wives. And you go, whoa, that's not okay. Absolutely this is not okay. The Old Testament Mosaic Law says if a man does something wrong, he is to be judged for it. Not his family, not his children. This, however, is not the Old Testament Mosaic Law. This is the law of the Medes and the Persians, which says if you are found guilty of a thing, you and your whole family die for it, which is a little more strenuous, <laughs> right? Do you think that would lend itself toward obeying the law? It would for me, <laughs> right? I mean, this is a real problem. Them, their children, and their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. So there was some distance, Right? There was some distance from the top of the den to the bottom of the den where you could be killed in this space. So when we look at Daniel had no bruise on him, there was no injury on him, it was a miracle in and of itself to start there. The lions was one thing, that the fall didn't kill him was another. Okay, But we're not done because Darius still needs to say something. 
Then the King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. That's a lot of communication, just in case you're wondering. Let's tell the whole world. How would this word have gotten out? He'd have typed up an email to Satrap number one, Satrap No. Yeah. He would have told all their wives, right? No, no. You said it. You said it. You said it. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, okay. No. No, he would have written this out. He would have actually spoken it, and somebody would have described it, and they would have made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of copies, and it would have gone out on camel through the entire world. And this is what he sent to the entire world. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom must, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. And his dominion shall endure to the end. It, just by the way, if you flip back to Daniel 2.44, these are almost identical words to what Nebuchadnezzar said too about Daniel's God. They all learned this lesson. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? Verse 28, so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And we go, yeah, it's awesome. Because this is a great story, right? So what's the point? Well, number one there, there's a blank, right? What is the blank for? The blank is for whatever you want to put in it. So I don't know. My copy says lions are not a problem for God, right? But I don't know what your lion looks like. I have no idea. Well, a couple of you I do because you've shared with me. But I don't know. But whatever that is, that's not a problem for God. If you want to be theologically correct, don't put anything in the blank. Just write blank. Insert any word here is not a problem for God. It's not. Number two, lions are a problem for me. Okay? I will readily admit, if we filled this room, I watched part of Gladiator yesterday, and Gladiator's got that scene at the end where they had the lions that jump up out of the bottom, and you're like, what in the world? What kind of crazy people would do that? And who volunteered to hold the chains, to hold the lions back? That's nuts, right? Absolutely crazy. But lions are a problem for me. I can't do this. And then disobedience to an ungodly God law can be obedience to God. So what do I do with that? Well, number one, stop staring at the lions. How much of my time do I spend staring at the lions in my life? Right? Ah, way too much, I promise you. Stop staring at the lions. Start serving the Lord and know how to apply the word. Because if we don't know how to apply his word, we may go breaking a law that really doesn't violate his commands. There was a movement in America 15, 20 years ago that said that uh, paying a certain type of taxes were against God's law. I, I promise you, this is, I'm not making this up. And many Christians didn't pay their taxes, and then they went to jail because they misinterpreted Scripture. So this, this can actually happen. Now, Kerry Harness, I ask you to remember three words from last week. You got those words? What are those words? Anywhere but Nineveh. Next week, we're looking at the book of Jonah, the whole book. And I think that is a fantastic summary of the book of Jonah. Anywhere but Nineveh. So, 
you got some time this week, read Jonah. It'll take you 15 minutes. Great job, Carrie, too, because I told her like two weeks ago. <laughs> She's all over it. All right, so thank you for being here this morning. Stop staring at the lions. Let's do our prayer requests, and let's head into the sanctuary.